0: you know, in the interest of privacy, I won't share her name, but but a teacher I worked with, I want to say about 18 months ago now, one of the things that she had said to me was that we never get time as teachers to think about our own creativity. But it was such a powerful statement. We as teachers never get the time to focus on our creativity. And I remember when she said it, she was passionate. She was like, our creativity. I remember her hands came over and she was saying, our creativity my creativity it was a desire i need to focus on my creativity just as much as i need to focus on facilitating the creativity of my students hello everyone my name is dr matthew
1: and my name is dr cindy burnett
0: this is the fueling creativity in education podcast
1: On this podcast, we'll be talking about various creativity topics and how they relate to the fields of education.
0: We'll be talking with scholars, educators, and resident experts about their work, challenges they face, and exploring new perspectives of creativity.
1: All with the goal to help fuel a more rich and informed discussion that provides teachers, administrators, and emerging scholars with the information they need to infuse creativity into teaching and learning.
0: So let's begin. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Fueling Creativity in Education podcast. And this is our first debrief episode of season eight.
1: That's right. Today, we are going to debrief three amazing episodes. The first with Dr. Janet Rafner, the second with Dr. Maureen Carroll, and the third with Todd Henry. And so let's talk about Dr. Janet Rafner, who is from Denmark. And works for the Center for Hybrid Intelligence as a researcher in creativity and artificial intelligence. So what was your biggest insight with that, Matt?
0: Well, I was, first of all, really excited to have Janet on the show. Because Janet, you know, has has published a few articles around creativity and AI and and creativity and and, uh, generative AI specifically over the last 12 months. But she's so knowledgeable. Her background is is in human-computer interaction and, and creativity uh, assistant tools, and I thought she did a really good job of distinguishing the difference between this idea of computational creativity mm-hmm. and co-creativity. And if I, I hope I'm doing a good job of summarizing it. But computational creativity, in in Janet's word, resides very much in the field of computer science, and of course, it's about how we, as as computer scientists, programmers, are developing a tool. Um, and thinking about how that tool is interacting with people, right? And so that's not necessarily always generative AI, but the, the point is we're creating a tool that is going to assist people in their creative endeavors. And then co-creativity is really just about that collaborative creativity. Typically, we think about co-creativity as working with groups, but more recently, we started to think about co-creativity with generative AI. And as, as you know, you and I started to talk about this idea of cobots. bots um, I want to say back in 2021. So in terms of my summary, computational creativity and co-creativity, what I what I suddenly thought about is how in the future, and we didn't really cover this in the show, but how in the future we might actually start seeing these things starting to come together. Because we know that with tools like ChatGPT and there's, there's a specific tool with a Copilot, which is in GitHub specifically for developers, we know that developers... Computer programmers are starting to utilize tools like ChatGPT to assist them in programming, and so I suddenly started to wonder if, you know, everyday creatives maybe are referred to our you and I as everyday creatives. Might we get to a point where we can actually engage in computational creativity with mm-hmm. the support of generative AI? And so perhaps these two different things might actually start coming together, and that would be kind of exciting if if you and I could suddenly start generating our own apps. I mean, we. We certainly have played around with some really fun ideas for apps for the Fueling Creativity and Education podcast. And so maybe we might be able to do that.
1: It's funny that you say that, Matt, because I was just talking to my husband about this conversation around computational creativity. And he also does programming on the computer. And he said, I feel like I I feel like it's like an apprentice. And I said, You feel like you have an apprentice with generative AI helping you through things? And he's like, no, I feel like I'm the apprentice learning things from generative AI because he's asking it how to do certain things and it's churning back exactly what he needs to do. So I just thought that was an interesting twist that he might actually be an apprentice to learning something new around computers and, and how computers work. So I think it's a really interesting insight around the computational creativity. And I want to also talk about my insight, which was co-creativity and using um, generative AI to actually generate new ideas, to generate new books, articles, all sorts of thinking, because it's just helped me so much. The other day, I was trying to design a lesson plan for fifth and sixth graders, and I asked ChatGPT if it could give me 10 different uh, idea generators for fifth and sixth graders that would be appropriate. And they came out with things that I had never even considered before being in the field for 25 years. And it just made me, it just got this big smile on my face because all I could think was, wow, that was so easy. Instead of spending days trying to think through what are some things I could do with students, it gave me some really good examples.
0: All right. So I've got a follow-up question for you. And I want to, I want to put it out there because I'm very sensitive to our audience. Mm -hmm. Um, we value divergent thinking. We dev- value opportunities to engage in diver- divergent thinking. Do you think that that creativity practitioners that spend so much of their time trying to teach creativity by helping people think more divergently, do you think that's going to become less important with generative AI? And maybe we might have to start focusing on other aspects of creativity, given the fact that maybe we might potentially offload aspects of divergent thinking I'm not talking about convergent, I'm not talking about judgment, but aspects of just generating mm. ideas to generative AI. I thought about that but, the last couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, Matt, that's that was something on my mind last summer. I went through a phase of will I be needed anymore to teach divergent thinking and and generating new ideas. And I think the answer is yes. It's it's just a journey, as as Janet had mentioned during our interview with her, that we are going on this journey. And sometimes I remember in that episode we had with uh, Dr. Zorana Pringle from Yale and the Emotional Intelligence, the Center for Emotional Intelligence, and her talking about our emotional state and our emotional state impacting our ability to generate ideas. And I think sometimes we're just not, even though I'm trained and I've been doing this for decades, I am still not in the mood to generate lots of ideas or I can't really come up with anything creative because I'm blocked by something. And we can still use our own abilities with generative AI to help us through those times. So I think of it as like an assistant who's just sort of there assisting you in coming up with new ideas because I didn't actually use any of the ideas it generated for me for this lesson, but it sparked some additional thinking for me that led me to a new idea. So I still think it's very important. And I think the principles of creativity, the underlying principles specifically around curiosity and keeping open-minded, I think those things will never go away. We're still going to need to teach students how to be more open-minded because if we don't, then it could generate the most creative idea for us. But if we're not open to it, then it's it's not going to be used or worthwhile.
0: Some of the research that I've dabbled into, um, and when I say dabbled into, I'm talking about, in essence, reading reading other people's research, that originality and randomness, it still seems to be something that, that we as humans are doing. So yes, there's generating lots of ideas, but then it's, okay, I've got these 10, 15, 20 ideas, whatever it might be that I've been presented with through using this tool, but now it's up to me to kind of like tweak them, modify them maybe bring two together to create one that wasn't presented on the page. That that originality, that those those making those connections, the human randomness, my initial thinking is, yes, we still need to try and continue to facilitate that. And I think teaching divergent thinking does a really good job of that.
1: Hmm. So now, Matt, let's transition into our next interview with Dr. Maureen Carroll. And she's a consultant who works on professional development with educators. Do you remember that conversation?
0: I do. I do, Yep. Yeah.
1: Now, the one thing that struck me about that conversation, and actually the reason why I wanted to bring her on the show, was because she hosts creative residencies for teachers to come and go into a space of quiet, into reflection, into creating, painting, dancing, improv, and how restorative that that is for teachers. And that's just something that I really relate to as a creative human That I need that time and space to just make or create because it is healing for me, as James Kaufman had mentioned to us, that there is a restorative piece to it. And when teachers are really burned out, that having these practices, these expressive practices that they can touch on and utilize, that that will restore their energy levels and their motivation levels to be better in the classroom.
0: Yeah, I, I remember that episode, and you know, it's one of these things that I I keep reflecting on because I find myself sometimes saying, okay, I certainly value promoting and engaging open, random creativity that for teachers that might not always be connected to the classroom environment. And I think some of the activities that Maureen was doing, I was kind of saying to myself, all right, is there a connection here to to the, the teaching and learning space. And I wasn't always sure whether or not there was a connection. And so then I, if I'm honest with you, I sit there and I'm saying, okay, well, I'm an administrator in that moment. Am I realistically going to prioritize time to that? But then I started to think a little bit more along your lines and I started to think about burnout. And sometimes you actually just need to be disconnected. And maybe we should actually prioritize more time in the year for teachers to just go and interact together as a community. Maybe it can assist them in their communities of practice, which we know becoming a big part of professional growth at schools, but it doesn't have to be connected to the teaching and learning environment because it's about them. It's about restoring their energy. It's about helping them connect to their creativity in any way they need to or can do. And then hopefully through that, by coming back with our batteries recharged, coming back with our creative juices refueled, then we're more likely to bring creativity back into our classroom environments. And so when I looked at it from that perspective, I said, you know what? I think these creative uh, residencies are really exciting and maybe we should be doing a lot more of them.
1: Hmm. I also think it gives teachers sort of the understanding of the benefits of, of spending that time and space to sort of disconnect and reflect and create and express themselves, that they understand the benefits of just doing that, not for the end product, but for the process and relaxation that comes with it and the, the mental health benefits that come with creating. And so I think it's an interesting way to introduce teachers into the world of creativity when they really don't understand what the benefits might be. I I mean, I'm sure you've had a lot of teachers that you've worked with who have said, oh, I had this art teacher when I was in high school and I realized I'm just not creative. And it's like, okay, that's not what we're talking about here. (laughs) You know, we're not talking about painting something perfectly. What we're talking about is thinking and thinking in different ways and and being able to express our ideas and have ideas and keep open to new ideas. So I think there's also that benefit as well.
0: Yeah, I mean the more you're talking the more I'm really kind of getting sold on this this creative res- residency concept. And actually I you know in the interest of privacy I won't share her name but but a teacher I worked with I want to say about 18 months ago now one of the things that she had said to me was that we never get time as teachers to think about our own creativity. And, and they and they felt that through the residency that they they had with me, they had that opportunity to have that time. But it was such a powerful statement. We as teachers never get the time to focus on our creativity. And I remember when she said it, she was passionate. She was like, our creativity. I remember her hands came over and she said, our creativity, my creativity. It was a desire I need to focus on my creativity just as much as I need to focus on facilitating the creativity of my students. Mm. Do you want to bring more creative and critical thinking into your school? Look no further than our podcast sponsor, Curiosity to Create.
1: Curiosity to Create is a nonprofit organization dedicated to engaging professional development for school districts and empowering educators through online courses and personal coaching.
0: And if you're craving a community of creative educators who love new ideas, don't miss out on their creative thinking network. Get access to monthly webinars, creative lesson plans, and a supportive community all focused on fostering creativity in the classroom.
1: To learn more, check out curiositytocreate.org or check out the links in the show notes for this episode. And speaking of our own personal creativity, Matt, do you remember our final of the three episodes was with Todd Henry, who wrote the book, The Accidental Creative and The Brave Habit. And he talked to us about bravery. And I thought this was a really interesting concept to think about in relationship to the classroom, because I think it's hard to be creative in the classroom. I think you have to be brave in order to be creative in the classroom, because you don't know necessarily if it's going to work. You don't know if your students are going to respond well to it. You don't know how other teachers are going to look at you. I know recently I spoke with a teacher and she said, I'm doing all these creative things, but I'm so afraid that people are going to walk in and see because I think they're going to look at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, you're not crazy. This is like amazing stuff, but it's different from what other people are doing. So it leaves them feeling sometimes vulnerable about being creative and and doing creative things with their students.
0: Yeah. And you know what, that that comment, I mean, I've got one follow-up, but that comment right there gets me thinking about our episode with Lauren McBain and Ron Begetto when they were talking about my favorite mm-hmm. failure and the emotional aspect associated with failure. And in essence, you know, we, we had spoken about this in a debrief, the difference between maybe a mistake and failure and failure being kind of like a, a, a social uh, experience where there's kind of repercussions and you feel like you've been exposed and you feel embarrassed. And I think that there is an element of when we try something new in the classroom environment, we are worried about what's going to happen based on perhaps how I might look, how I might look to my students, how I might look to my colleagues. And that does require a a level of bravery. And in addition, uh, another level of bravery is needed when you have experienced that failure, but you want to go back and try it again, right? So you don't give up. All right, so this crashed and burned. And therefore, if I do this again, a lot of people are going to be asking, why am I doing this again? And a lot of people might be saying, I might already actually now have negative views of this experience. But if I believe in it enough, then actually we know through things like design thinking, we require some iteration, right? So you might have that, oh, I know how I can make this better, but you still need to be brave to go in and make that modification. So I I, I totally agree with you. I think bravery is a big part of teacher innovation in a classroom environment. And I'll add, I'll, add, I'll add one more thing to that as well, Cindy. Sorry. The other piece is, you know, we would referenced just before we recorded one of the things we liked about that episode is this idea of bravery as a choice. Yes. Um, and, you know, it's a choice we typically might have to take within a moment. And I I, I was almost going to bring this up with creative residencies. When is the best time in the year for this? But likewise, when is it the, the best time for you to be brave? And I, I keep working with this because as you know, within my space, I typically talk a lot about the idea of, of of creativity or innovation despite constraints. And I and I work with teachers and I get them to think a lot about constraints and the the time, the academic calendar, all of those things represents constraints in the environment. And I certainly know that there are times in the year where I have the capacity, the ability. To be brave. You was talking about this mm-hmm. idea of, of of having the space to think and be creative. There's times in the year where I have that, and there's times of the year where I'd say I don't have that. So, right. just to throw you know, throw this concept back at you. What do you think? Are there times of the year? Are there or are there certain moments where it's it's better for us to make the choice to be brave, and then maybe other times where we're like, hey, you know what? This isn't the moment to be brave. That's
1: a great question. I think we have to think about what's most important to us as educators and what what our goals are. And sometimes we get caught up in things and emotions that aren't really going to help us move forward, help our students move forward. So I think it's about making good choices in terms of what are you willing to be brave for and why? And really clarifying that with yourself to say, when is it when do I need to be brave and stand up for this? And when, when should I not? When is it not really worth it for me and my students? Because I think sometimes we use up all of our energy for the wrong things. And so for our listeners out there, what I would recommend is really looking at those things that you want for your classroom that takes courage, that takes bravery, and say, is it worth it when that moment comes? For you to stand up and say, this is what I need. This is what my students need. Or is it not really worth it because of something else happening in the system that it's going to cause too much turmoil? So I think it's sort of a polarity that you have to manage, right? So you want to make sure that you're using your energy for the right thing. So that's what my recommendation would be. What would you say?
0: Well, I would say, and I could be wrong, but I know you've been reading Arnold Schwarzenegger's book, Be Useful, and I actually just finished yes. that book this week. And so that sounded very similar to some of the things that he had referenced, <laughs> right? Like, yes. Like the, yeah, right. And, and, but it, it, it's true, right? Like we, we What's our goal, right? Mm-hmm. What's our mission? And does this align with our mission? And I think that the moments when we we've got a choice to be brave – you know, I think maybe you're right. I, I think the big piece is energy. You're right. You're exerting energy, right? And so make sure that where you're exerting that energy is going in the place that you care about, that's kind of meets your goals, and it thinks it it it's it's ultimately kind of moving the needle forward in terms of the teaching and learning uh, that's happening happening in your classroom.
1: And Matt, since you brought it up, so be useful. Uh, the seven I don't know seven tools that Arnold Schwarzenegger wrote about. Exactly. By the way. Um, we can talk about this now because I doubt we'll be able to get Arnold Schwarzenegger on our podcast. But if you know him and you think he might be interested, please let us know. We'd love to make that connection because I, I did finish that book based on a recommendation from a friend and I absolutely loved it because one of the things he talks about and has really shifted my thinking much bigger, and I think I'm a pretty big thinker, but what he said is when you have a vision crumble it up and think bigger. And I think that takes a lot of bravery to do, to say, you know what? It's not good what it, it's not good what what's happening right now. I'm going to crumble this up and I'm going to make it bigger. I'm going to make not the mess bigger, but the vision bigger. And just thinking in that way about your students to say, like, what do I want for my students? Now I'm going to think even bigger for my students. How exciting that feels and and how much it motivates people. So yes, I also recommend that book.
0: <laughs> well, 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 just for the record, it sounds like you kind of like need to think bigger, right? Because why can't we go, reach out to Arnold Schwarzenegger's PR folks, right? Seems to be really engaged with the community. Ask yes. if we can go down, record a special in the same way we did a special with Howard Gardner, right? Yes. And go through the book and have a conversation about how the book might apply to teachers in the classroom environment. Let's do it. I'm a, I'm a big talker. I don't think I'm gonna I'm going do that, but you know what? Oh, I will do it. I think
1: you're right. <laughs> yeah, crumble yeah. the vision of like we don't know him, but and we're gonna turn it into something bigger and say what have we got to lose? And he seems like a uh, very generous in his um, kindness. I I was just I loved the book so much in terms of like how much he wanted to help others, and so maybe he's mm. willing to come and talk to us because so much of what he talked about in that book was about creativity. Even though I don't think he ever said the word creativity, he talked about creativity through the whole book.
0: Yeah, it, it, it was. And, and actually, just to maybe finish off this this episode and how we've kind of now started to find ourselves talking about, uh, I mean, it, it does connect very much to Todd Henry's episode and some of the yes. other episodes that we've had. I think what I would say to teachers is this idea of go bigger, right? It's not necessarily go bigger in your classroom uh, you know, with the idea sometimes. Sometimes it's a case of, all right, you are going to share it with colleagues. But why not go and put in a proposal for a conference, right? Why not go and build a website around what it is you're doing in the classroom environment? Why not go and establish a podcast? Why not reach out to Cindy and I, right, using the email questions at fuelingcreativitypodcast.com and say, hey, I want to come on your show and I want to talk about this awesome thing that I've developed for my classroom that I think facilitates and promotes creativity in students. Um, so I think every single one of us In teaching and learning, have the capacity to go bigger. It's not necessarily about going bigger with the idea. Sometimes it might be going bigger in terms of sharing the awesome creativity that we're doing in our classroom environments. And being brave. Because we may say no. Yeah. Maybe a conference proposal is not accepted. I don't think you and I would say no, but be brave.
1: Yes. And to give you a little teaser, not only did we do the brave habit this past three episodes, but the next three episodes, you're going to hear about the fun habit. So stay tuned to next week when we talk with Mike Rucker, who wrote Dr. Mike Rucker, who wrote the book, The Fun Habit.
0: Wait, no, before we go, we got to keep doing this, right? Because remember, we set the goal. We got to go bigger. We set the goal. that We wanted to to double the number of subscribers. Yeah, we want to double the number of subscribers before the end of, of 2024. So if you are watching us on YouTube this is great we are still learning youtube we've got the green screen growing i'm sitting here i'm like oh my god this might not even work so we're pro- totally experimenting with the green screen today if you're listening to the episode go subscribe if you haven't already please help us promote this podcast get it out to your friends and colleagues because i think we i do think we interview some great people who've got some great ideas on how we can help creativity in education all right so now cindy we can end. and my
1: name is dr cindy Burdett.
0: and my name is dr matthew world
1: This episode was produced by Matthew Warwood and Cindy Burnett. Our podcast sponsor is Curiosity to Create, and our editor is Sam Atkinson.